Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Hello, Johnny. Hello, my love. Hello, everyone. Okay, so today we're going to discuss book three of Paradise Lost. And speaking of books, who has a book out? Yes, that's right. This last week, we've actually managed to complete our first book. You've actually managed. Well, with a lot of... (laughs) encouragement from prodding (laughs) not encouragement prodding yeah it took a while (laughs) okay so this past monday on the christian atheist what did you pull out of book three the idea of the divine superlatives okay do you want to elaborate or do you want to the idea that what we think of god is Mm -hmm. really built up of the ideals Mm -hmm. that we see around us that are pointed to by our everyday experience Right. Okay, so if you're interested in hearing what John has to say about the divine superlatives, you want to go back and listen to the Christian Atheist episode from this past week. But today we want to discuss the entire book three of Paradise Lost. Okay, so John, book three, how would you sum this book up in as few words as possible? Divine superlatives? Because <laughs> it's not all about that. Well, you know, I think we would say that this is the book of divine light. Okay. And I think that suffuses the entire book. Right. The idea that God is light, taken, of course, from 1 John 1, five. It's sort of like in contrast to the last book where Satan is darkness. Right. It's completely dark. Right. So we're inverting the last two books, mm-hmm. and we're moving from hell now back to heaven. Right, right. And in many ways, <laughs> as I look at this, and maybe it's better to get this out of the way at the beginning. As a Christian, I have always struggled with the notion of heaven Mm -hmm. because the pictures that are painted in the Bible bore me to death. Right, (laughs) right. And the pictures painted in early religious art, too. Right. It's like, really, a a city that has streets of gold? That has no interest for me at all. And yet, both of us, I think, when Mm -hmm. we read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. The last battle, the especially. The last battle, right. Mm-hmm. We get a notion of heaven, of further up and farther in. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly what the Bible is presenting, but it's presenting it in a very different way, I guess, for a different culture. Right. Or maybe you just need to reread Revelations. Right. Yeah. A- and maybe bring a new mind yeah. to the whole yeah. issue of heaven and hell. Yeah. But I, I think that C.S. Lewis, more than any writer, has helped me with that issue. Yeah, yeah. He made it in Chronicles of Narnia in Last Battle. He says it's about how heaven is the same as earth, but the reality, that the real. Yeah, and that's this is, far more real. Right. Right, these are just the shadow lands right. that we inhabit now. Yeah. And that there we find reality in total. Yeah, so that would be a good book for our listeners to read. Yeah, and it actually corresponds well with what we talk about on the Christian Atheist this week mm-hmm. with the superlatives of God, because that is one of the most important superlatives in the Bible, is found in Exodus 3.14, when God says to Moses, I am. am. When they say, who sent you? Tell them, I am sent you. Right. And God claims right there to be being itself. And yeah. that's that highest of all realities. And I think Lewis picks up very well on that, Mm -hmm. both in The Great Divorce, which is fantastic, and in The Last Battle. Okay, so book three opens with Milton again invoking the muse. 
And right. what's the name he calls the muse this time? Well, again, we start with the idea that the muse is not the Greek muses. The original muses. Yeah, the, the Greek muses were modeled after the different types of the arts that human beings engaged in. Mm -hmm. But that the real muse, as Milton has said before, is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And we might as well actually invoke but, it here. But in this one, he calls the muse the holy light offspring of heaven's firstborn. Right. So it's worth actually bringing those first few moments into our consciousness mm -hmm. as we begin this podcast. Okay, go ahead. Hail, holy light, offspring of heaven firstborn, or of the eternal co-eternal beam, may I express thee unblamed? Since God is light, and never but in approached light dwelt from eternity, dwelt then in thee bright effluence of bright essence in create, or hearst thou rather pure ethereal stream, Whose fountain, who shall tell? Before the sun, before the heavens, thou wert. And there we have two of those primary notions mm -hmm. of what God is. Being itself and light itself. And of course, the light metaphor infuses all of book three mm -hmm. from beginning to end, even though it begins in heaven and ends with Satan. Because when we finally get to it, at the end of the book, Satan actually visits the sun mm -hmm. and is infused with light, right? And mm -hmm. so light is from the beginning to the very end of this book. And it's kind of what anchors it all to one central notion. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and Milton also mentions at this point his own blindness. Doesn't he compare himself to Tiresias? Right, the blind poet of the Greeks. Of the Greeks, yeah. Yep. As you mentioned when we were talking about this before, it's mm -hmm. odd that he doesn't make the comparison to Homer, right. who was also considered a blind poet. Traditionally. Traditionally, right. right. But Milton makes the point that he, as a man, is blind and can't see, and that therefore he needs to invoke the Holy Spirit, who is light itself, to enter his mind and to illumine him. And, well, let's just actually read it. So... Milton actually says this, recognizing his own blindness. Thee I revisit safe. And of course, he's referring here to the fact that God is light. Right. Thee I revisit safe and feel thy sovereign vital lamp. But thou revisits not these eyes that roll in vain to find thy piercing ray and find no dawn. And so he's lamenting his blindness, mm -hmm. but in another way, he's rejoicing in the fact that the Holy Spirit can now lead him into a real knowledge mm -hmm. and true light. Maybe see what other people don't see. Correct. And then he says this much farther down, and wisdom at one entrance quite shut out, right? Mm -hmm. And so that he can't see through his eyes anymore. So much the rather thou, celestial light shine inward and the mind through all her powers irradiate mm -hmm. and we note that milton places great emphasis on the rationality of the human being as being the very image of god right and so he's asking the light of the holy spirit to shine into his rational being mm -hmm. and irradiate it 
There plant eyes, he says, all mist from thence purge and disperse, that I may see and tell of things invisible to yeah. mortal sight. Yeah. Right. So he's he's saying that we need the sight of God, the wisdom of God, in order to understand all of these dark secrets. Right. And it's only God that can reveal them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next we go to heaven, and this part, I think, parallels with the first and second book in hell. But this time, rather than Satan and Beelzebub talking, we see God and his son. Right. And they're observing and discussing Adam and Eve in the garden. Right, and not only Satan and Beelzebub, but also sin and death, Mm -hmm. right, as we saw at the end of book two. Right. They also see Satan heading towards earth. He's on on his way to earth. And God sees past and future all at once. Right. Right. That's the eternal God. Yeah. Right? Being able to stand outside of time. Yeah. yeah. And he, he talks to the son about, about what's going to happen now. So as we find ourselves in heaven, Milton paints this picture. On God's right, the radiant image of his glory sat, mm-hmm. his only son. On earth he first beheld our first two parents, yet the only two of mankind, in the happy garden placed, reaping immortal fruits of joy and love, uninterrupted joy, Mm -hmm. unrivaled love, in blissful solitude. And every time I read that, I Mm. think of you and I. Yes. Right? Neither one of us is exactly a, an extrovert. An extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't really like being around people too much. And all of my life, I enjoyed being by myself. Yeah, same here. And yet now, being with you is as rich and beautiful as it ever was being by myself, mm-hmm. with the addition of all of the beauty of having myself complete right. in you. Right. As one flesh. As one flesh. This scenario, Mm -hmm. as Milton presents it, is so beautiful to me, especially ending in this blissful solitude, right? Reaping immortal fruits of joy and love, uninterrupted joy, unrivaled love in blissful solitude. Mm -hmm. And we haven't been without trouble during the last three years of our married life. (laughs) But I would still call it blissful solitude yeah, with you. Yeah. I wonder rather than a man's home is his castle, maybe a man and why his wife's home is their garden. Yes. Yeah. I mean we have Should that be their garden. on our hands. Right. Right. Jenny my Eve and John my Adam. Mm-hmm. And in rather many than ways, our rather than wedding rings. Yeah. Yeah. In, in many ways this is the Garden of Eden for mm-hmm. us. Not perfection. Me. Oh, no, no, not perfection, <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Because neither one of us is perfect, but you are certainly perfect for me. Mm-hmm. And I love this because there's a certain parallelism here, because he talks about God on his right hand, having the radiant image of his own glory, his only son. Mm-hmm. And it's like that begotten son. And the notion of the begotten nature of God is one of those divine superlatives. Yeah, that's right. About which I talk. Yep. And it is also the fruit of a love between the man and woman mm-hmm. that is a reflection 
of that divine superlative. That's right. Right? In which we beget children. Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. it is love that is a begetting. And in God, it is eternal, whereas with us, it is temporal. Right. But it is a reflection of that eternal reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Sort of like in Song of Solomon, huh? Mm. Oh, I am my mine. beloved's and he is mine. Yes. No, I love that. Milton goes on and talks about what you just talked about a few seconds ago, mm-hmm. about the fact that he points out to his only son, Satan, moving towards earth. Right. And he says, only begotten son, seest thou what rage transports our adversary, whom no bounds prescribed, no bars of hell, nor all the chains heaped on him there, nor yet the main abyss wide interrupt mm-hmm. can hold. Yeah. So bent he seems on desperate revenge. Right. And this picks up so well on what we talked about last week about evil being like a virus. Right. And necessarily transgressive of all the boundaries that God puts in place through nature and law mm-hmm. to restrain evil. Yet they evil's yet, free will. And yet free will mm-hmm. allows evil to transgress all of those boundaries yeah. to its own detriment. And now through all restraint broke loose, he wings his way, not far off heaven, in the precincts of light. Yeah. So there's that metaphor of light again. Mm-hmm. Satan is moving from the darkness of hell to the precincts of light. And why? Mm-hmm. To infect it with To darkness. pervert it. Right. Yes, to pervert it. And a little farther down, Milton says this. So will fall he, that is, Adam and humanity, and his faithless progeny, whose fault, whose but his own. Ingrate, he had of me all he could have. Mm -hmm. God gave man the greatest of all gifts, life and freedom, and the ability to resist evil. And yet, of his own free will, he chose to give all of that up. Right. And this is another one of those instances where we clearly see what Milton talked about in the very first part of Book One, when he said the purpose of Paradise Lost is to justify the ways of God to man. Right. Exactly. He had of me all he could have, God said. I made him just and right. Sufficient to have stood, though free to fall. Mm -hmm. Such I created all the ethereal powers. So even the angels were created with free will. Right. Which is the ultimate love. Right. The ultimate love that Mm -hmm. God gave. And so there's another one of those superlatives, as we talked about Mm -hmm. in the Christian Atheist earlier this week. What pleasure I from such obedience paid when will and reason, reason also is choice, Mm -hmm. God says, of freedom both despoiled, made passive both, had served necessity, not me. And so man chose to follow a different path than the path that God prescribed. Mm -hmm. And the fall was the result. Milton definitely Mm -hmm. rejected the notion of predestination. 
So God's foreknowledge, the fact that he is outside of time, does not mean that man is not free, right. nor that man is not God responsible. Knows, God knows the future, but he's not controlling it. Exactly. Yeah. Because he chose to create free beings. Mm -hmm. They trespass, authors to themselves in all, both what they judge and what they choose. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but think here of what Socrates says in the Apology, how by making the choices that we make, we author the narrative of our life. Right. And right. God says exactly the same thing here in Milton's Paradise Lost. Doesn't he say that uh, there's a difference between Satan and man and that mankind was tempted by Satan while right. Satan was self-tempted? Correct. Yep. And we pick up with that exact point here. Both what they judge and what they choose, for so I formed them free, and free they must remain, mm -hmm. till they enthrall themselves. Just like we said last week, yeah. Satan chose to enthrall himself to evil rather than to serve God. He was not free mm -hmm. because he is now serving in hell right. evil right. instead of God. He was free when he served God. Right. Because that was his purpose. That was who he was made to be. Mm -hmm. But he rebelled against that. Right. Like today, people rebelling against who they were born to be. Yes. And saying, that's not what I was born to right. be. I want to be what I want to be. Right. Instead of being what God formed us right. to be. That's right. If we just accept who we are and serve God in that way, we're free. Right. That's where our true freedom lies. Yeah, for real. And being what God made us to be. Mm-hmm. Then he says this, I else must change their nature, right? And this is one of those fundamental things that bothers me so much about our world today. Yeah. We seem to believe that with our minds, like Satan said back in book one, mm -hmm. that we can change the world around us. We can change reality itself, right. but we can't. Reality is something that we are subject to, not something that we can make in our own image. Right. Right. That is taking the part of God. Or Hegelian. Exactly. <laughs> so God says, else I must change their nature and revoke the high decree unchangeable, eternal, which ordained their freedom. Yeah. They themselves ordained their fall. The first sort, that is the angels, by their own suggestion fell, picking up on this point you just made, mm -hmm. self-tempted, self-depraved. Man falls deceived by the other first. Man, therefore, God says, shall find grace, the other none. Mm -hmm. In mercy and justice both, through heaven and earth, so shall my glory excel. But mercy, first and last, mm -hmm. shall brightest shine. And there's again that metaphor of light. Mm -hmm. That God is light, and that light will suffuse right. everything. And that is the light of God's mercy for humankind. Right, right. Okay, so this was kind of like the previous conference in hell in book two, because they're like discussing the state of things. And then just like as the demons looked for a volunteer to go to earth, now God asks for a volunteer to suffer and die on behalf of man. 
kind of like parallels. And and the demons were silent when they were looking for who would go to earth to pervert earth. Now the angels are silent as they wait for the volunteer to step forward. And of course, the son offers himself. As Satan uses sin to break out of hell, the son who volunteers himself is going to break death's power. Right. As opposed to Satan using death's power. Right. So we yeah. see again the inversion. Here. Yeah. That the reality is God's reality, and the inversion is is Satan. Right, right. It's really interesting how Milton paints this puts, so clearly. Yeah, he puts them side by side. Yep. So, picking up right with the point you just made. Yeah. And silence was in heaven when God asks, who will make this ultimate sacrifice mm-hmm. for man? And why must the sacrifice be made? If we back up just a second. Yeah. He says this, die he or justice must. So again, we find the two superlatives. God cannot allow sin to go unpunished and be just. And yet he wishes to be merciful, extend grace to mankind. And so in order for divine justice to be fulfilled, Mm -hmm. the penalty must be paid. And who will pay it? There is only one possibility, and that is the incarnation, because man must pay for man. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it would not be a just penalty. And only God is perfect enough to make that standard. And so the incarnation is the sole answer to the problem of the fall. Right. And the Old Testament talks about only blood can pay for blood. Right. And he actually says here, the rigid satisfaction, Mm -hmm. death for death. Say, heavenly powers, where shall we find such love? He asked, but all the heavenly choir stood mute. And now, without redemption, all mankind must have been lost, adjudged to death and hell by doom severe, had not the Son of God, in whom the fullness dwells, of love divine. And there we have another one of the superlatives. God is love. Behold me, then, the Son of God says. Me for him, life for life I offer. On me let thine anger fall. Account me, man. I for his sake will leave thy bosom and this glory next to thee freely put off and for him lastly die well pleased. On me let death wreak all his rage. Under his gloomy power I shall not long lie vanquished. Thou hast given me to possess life in myself forever. By thee I live. And there we find another of the superlatives. Mm -hmm. God is life. And it is only in God that we find life, as the Apostle Paul said, in whom we live, move, and have our being. And life is so... Paul or Peter? Paul. It is Paul for sure. And life is so precious and so valuable and so important and in the image of God that the only thing that can pay for a life is a life. There's and nothing else that can be sacrificed and for the a life. life. Life itself is God. Right. And therefore, every other life is a mere reflection of the life in God. Right. And 
Only God, therefore, could pay for the failures of his creation. Of life, right. Okay, so here we pick up, and I just want to read a few more things before we move on. Because I think it's beautifully stated Mm -hmm. about the nature of the incarnation. Mm -hmm. God says to his only begotten son, Thou, therefore, whom thou only canst redeem, their nature also to thy nature join. And this is the incarnation about which we make such a big deal in the Christian atheists. Right. Because when I came back to Christ, it was that central notion of man in Jesus Mm -hmm. that brought me to the point of falling down in worship before God once again and saying, if, if, if God can become man, mm-hmm. then all of reality is based in God. And it was through you that, again, the world became that sort of magical realm mm-hmm. for me. Where, yeah, where faith and reason fused. Right, exactly. Where faith and reason fused in the incarnation. Right. And that became possible for me because I saw, again, Jesus through you. Mm -hmm. And to that day, to this day, and and I hope it goes the other way as well, and I think from the things you've said to me, it does. (laughs) But to me, to this day, I can kiss your feet because, not because Jenny is God, but because through Jenny, I see God. Mm -hmm. I see Christ. And the beauty and the reality of that possibility, of that reality, has become real to me again. Right, and it's. I think that's what God created marriage to be, don't you think? I do, and, and I don't then, think there's, you know, we get grief mm-hmm. on this different mm-hmm. times. You know, oh, you came back because you got a woman. Right. I came back because I was able to see Christ through a part of his body. Right. And, and, and that's the only way we ever get to see Christ here right. on earth. And when God created Adam, he said, you need somebody. Right. You this know? is now flesh of my flesh right. and bone of my and bone. And he established that at the beginning. And therefore, what's wrong with you coming back through? Absolutely through, nothing. Yeah. And that's why even though I knew when I wrote those first nine or ten episodes of The Christian Atheist through the looking glass, the mm-hmm. machinery of the looking glass, I knew that others would pick up on that and say exactly what they said. Right. But I couldn't help but say it because it was the truth. Right. And I'm not ashamed of it. Nope. Because I think it is the reality. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that anyone comes to Christ except through the body of Christ, which is other people here on Mm -hmm. this earth. And as we go forward in Paradise Lost, we'll see more of Adam and Eve and, and the marriage relationship. Yep. Their nature also to thy nature join, and be thyself man among men on earth made flesh the head of all mankind, though Adam's son. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of that paradox, like what King David said, Mm -hmm. the Lord said to my Lord, how does that go? The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make thy enemies your footstool. Okay. And that is absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. That the son of man has also become the redeemer of Mm -hmm. mankind. 
Right. right? Whereas we fell through one man, one man who was the son of man and also the son of God mm -hmm. was the redeemer of mankind as from a second root. So man, as is most just, God says, shall satisfy for man, be judged and die, and dying rise, and rising with him raise his brethren, ransomed with his own dear life. So heavenly love shall outdo hellish mm -hmm. hate. And I, those words right there just get me at a level I can't even express. Oh. It is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Found worthiest to be so by being good. God is goodness itself. Mm -hmm. And that's another one of the superlatives. Mm -hmm. Far more than great or high, because in thee, love hath abounded more than glory abounds. Therefore, God says to Jesus, Thy humiliation shall exalt with thee thy manhood also to this throne. Mm -hmm. Jesus will rule throughout eternity as the second person of the Godhead as a human being. Right. Here shalt thou sit incarnate. Here shalt reign both God and man. Son both of God and man anointed universal king and i love that and mm -hmm. i think that milton in the language of this poem has painted as beautifully as the bible itself has managed mm -hmm. to do yeah. which is not surprising yeah because god used human beings to write the bible right and i don't think inspiration ends there right right okay when god is done speaking Rather than the raising of what I, th I think it was swords of the demons to Satan after his speech in book one. Right, the praise and falling down in, essentially in, in worship right. of, of Satan. Right, instead of that, the angels in heaven break out in choirs of musical praise to the sun. Right, and they crown. Yeah, they throw down their crown. Yeah, their so crown. Next, Milton goes back to Satan as he is on earth. He's reached earth. Right. He's walking on Earth, which is uninhabited. Where where is he? He he, he actually ends up in China. Yeah, in Asia. Will become China. Right. He alights um, in China. Right. And there's why nothing do you, there. Why do you think he? I don't know. Starts I mean, there. Why China? Other yeah. than China is in many ways the far, emphasis of the, the far Western east view. Right. Sort yeah. of the the Western view would sort of be contrasted with the Eastern view, and I think it might be that. Okay. Maybe it's the farthest so you can get. Right. The sort of the the, the flat the, earth where <laughs> China's to the far east and England's to the far west. Right. <laughs> and, and the Western worldview. Yeah, the yeah. Christian worldview right, right. is in opposition to that. So Satan walks the earth, it's uninhabited, and he eventually comes to Jacob's ladder and he climbs the stairs and sees all of the earth. And then he sees the sun. And, and he, he goes to the sun. It. So right. he goes to the sun. Yeah. He's interplanet Janet. <laughs> That's right. You're interplanet Janet. Yeah. And you talk about Jenny is always very well versed on, what is it, the 80s and 90s um, public 70s. broadcasting? Is it 70s? I'm not sure if Interplanet Janet was seven. I think she was more like in the 80s. It was Schoolhouse Rock. Was Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> okay. So Interplanet. Inter 
I remember Schoolhouse Rock well, mm-hmm. but Interplanet Janet was one that Jenny introduced me to. And so, yeah, Satan is sort of here playing the part of Interplanet Janet. And I would suggest to all of our listeners that you go to YouTube and look up Interplanet Janet. <laughs> it's worth it, especially if you're our age. Yes. It will bring back memories of fond days of yore. <laughs> the only problem with Interplanet Janet that always drove me crazy is that she goes to the sun and she enjoys herself. And then she goes to Mercury and she says, the Mercury on Mercury was way too hot. And I couldn't get that because I always she thought. She came from the sun. Yeah. <laughs> An inconsistency. Okay, so anyway, go ahead. (laughs) The stairs were let down, whether to dare the fiend by easy ascent or aggravate his sad exclusion from the doors of bliss. And so the idea that Satan himself stands on the ladders between heaven and earth, right, is the idea going on here. And that from the ladder he sees heaven and the beauties of heaven, Mm -hmm. and he's drawn to the sun itself and goes to visit the sun. And so once again, we see in this book three of Paradise Lost, the centrality of light as the metaphor. God is light. So everything is revealed by the light of the sun. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that I, I think, and let me see if I can find it here. Milton makes the case, Satan is sort of like a sunspot that astronomers or astrologers Mm -hmm. might see in the sun. So a darkness that invades this absolute realm of light. Okay, so Satan sees an angel on a hill, and he hopes that it's the angel who's guarding man, and Satan disguises himself as an eager angel, right? as a cherub, actually, an eager cherub who's excited to learn all about God's plans. And this angel that he had spotted was the archangel Uriel, who is what one of the seven most powerful angels. Wait, we can uh, actually what, read that section. Okay, if you and, want. and real quick, I think, is he supposed to be like the smartest angel? Right, he's one of the, According the to most Milton. important angels in service to God at his throne. Mm-hmm. He is kind of like the eyes of God. Yeah. And he's standing here on the sun. Yeah. I guess observing for God what's going on in the world around. Is he on the sun or in the earth? No, he's standing on the sun. Okay. All right. I was a little confused about that. All right. Go ahead. So it says, Satan, to objects distant far, whereby he soon saw within Ken a glorious angel stand. So he knows that this is one of God's Mm -hmm. great angels. Glad was the spirit impure. So Satan was glad to find one of God's angels here on the sun. Right. As now in hope to find who might direct his wandering flight to paradise, the happy seat of man. I see. So Satan here is looking for and has been looking for. It's the whole point of his journey. Right. To find this new creature, man. Man. So beloved of God. And to find a way to corrupt him, of course. Mm -hmm. But he needs to find him first. And so Uriel, this most important, one of the most important angels in God's court, he's glad to find here on the sun. Glad was the spirit impure, as now in hope to find who might direct his wandering flight to paradise, the happy seat of man, his journey's end and our beginning woe. Yeah. 
but first he casts to change his proper shape. Yeah. Here we have again the father of lies, mm-hmm. who in everything he does, he lies. Right. So he changes his form in order to present himself to this archangel Uriel as a cherub bright. Right, an eager cherub. Right. So well he feigned. Under a coronet, his flowing hair in curls on either cheek played. Mm-hmm. And so he disguised himself as, a, as what he was not, as right. just an eager angel of heaven wanting to see the glory of God's new creation. Which, and, which sparks Uriel to tell him everything, everything eagerly. Right. right. And so the good angel, Uriel, mm-hmm. unversed in understanding the nature of evil itself, as almost all good people are, reveals to Satan the location right. of paradise right. and Adam, and therefore sets the stage for Satan's ultimate corruption mm-hmm. of man, the infection that we talked about last week. Last week, right, exactly. So it's probably worth spending a few seconds using Milton's language as uh, the language that he puts into Uriel's mm-hmm. mouth here. Right. So hey, Uriel is now talking to Satan. Mm-hmm. And giving him directions to earth, to paradise. Okay. Uriel says to Satan, each had his place appointed. And here he's talking about the stars of heaven. Mm-hmm. Each his course. The rest in circuit walls this universe. Look downward on that globe, whose hither side with light from hence, though but reflected, shines. That place is earth, the seat of man, that light is day, which else, as the other hemisphere, night would invade, but there the neighboring moon, so call that opposite fair star, her aid timely interposes, and her monthly round still ending, still renewing, through mid-heaven, with borrowed light her countenance triform, hence fills and empties to enlighten the earth and in her pale dominion, checks the night. That spot to which I point is paradise, Adam's abode. Those lofty shades, his bower, thy way thou canst not miss. Thus said, he turned. And Satan, bowing low, as to superior spirits is wont in heaven, where honor due and reverence none neglects, took leave. And it's important here to note the nature of the hierarchy and the structure that God has put in place, mm-hmm. right? All of these things are doing their appointed purpose mm-hmm. by God. And the one thing that is out of place is mm-hmm. Satan himself. Right. The infection that means to destroy and pervert all of the goodness that God has put in place. Right. And when you think of a virus, a virus goes to a cell, yep. shows false ID, yep. and then is able to penetrate into the cell yep. it is with perfect. the false ID. Yep. Yeah. It is false, mm-hmm. just as Satan is false to Uriel, right. just as Satan is false to Eve, mm-hmm. and ultimately then to, to Adam. All of us. And yeah. all of us. Mm-hmm. Evil is a pathogen. Mm -hmm. 
that through deceit, right, false in, ID, through false ID and deceit, mm -hmm. invades a host, a being, and subverts it to its own purpose, mm -hmm. and replicates itself, right, and then at the expense of right. the goodness of the cell itself, right, and then sends it out. Mm -hmm. Eventually destroys the cell, right. As as someone who has lived through the life that I've lived, mm -hmm. I can't help but refer to the Matrix movies. Yeah, and Agent Smith, who replicates himself over and over again and becomes everything, mm -hmm. but the one thing that he can't become when he tries is Neo, and Neo is of course the Christ figure. Mm -hmm. And he resists the pathogen, destroys the pathogen, yeah. and resets the world. And I know you're not a fan of the Matrix movies. It's not that I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm not a fan of the acting. But right. <laughs> but but for me, that was one of the elements that anchored my worldview and helped me understand some of the the world around me in a new way. Mm -hmm. And it was a very philosophical movie. And in many ways, it was reflecting what Milton did, what a half a century before, yeah, uh, half a exactly. half a millennia, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. So mm -hmm. yeah, I hate to end on the element of the Matrix, but there we go. <laughs> no, yeah, that's okay. And so we end with Satan speeding towards. That's right. The great moment mm -hmm. in which the whole of Paradise Lost is focused, mm -hmm. right? The deception of Adam and Eve right. in the garden. And that will come next week in book four. Well, well the beginning of it will come. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Where we're introduced to the Garden of Eden <laughs> and life in the Garden of Eden. Okay. Well, this was really good. I was actually worried. Mm -hmm. that this week was going to be kind of boring. Yeah. But yeah. it was not boring no, at all. It was ex all. incredibly exciting for yeah, me, was. actually. It really was. It was fun talking with you about it mm -hmm. as we walked and talked and read through it this week, which makes it so much more fun. It Everything is. is much more delightful with you, my love. Yes, in our garden. In our garden. <laughs> okay, so if you haven't started reading it yourself, you might be able to squeeze it in through our audio version, put on our podcast and on YouTube. You have the link in the description here for the podcast and for the um, YouTube channel. Right. And if you're listening to us through YouTube, please subscribe. With right, we're stuff. actually moving towards our thousand subscribers mm -hmm. as we've been looking for. That's right. So thank you, everyone. For, yeah, we appreciate that very much. And so be sure to listen next Monday to The Christian Atheist, where John's going to begin book four. Right of Paradise Lost, and then on Thursday, we'll discuss on No Compromise, book four together. Right, the we'll narrative. Yep. 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 Okay, so thank you for joining us this week, and hope you're having a great week. If you have anything you want to say to us, please feel free to get in touch. We love to hear from you, and John tries to respond to everyone. <laughs> yep. And as always, if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, you can use the link in the description for that, too. Don't forget, John put his first book out on Amazon. That link is in the description. Through the Looking Glass, The Imploding of an Atheist Professor's Worldview by John Wise. Okay, we'll see you all next week and thank you for listening. God bless. We love you guys very seriously because you are the reason we're doing this. Yes. 
and we get different comments different times. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. This week we got Yeah, one you got really a sweet one this week. From someone whose granddaughter and they're in their seventies and eighties is is working on their PhD mm-hmm. in philosophy mm-hmm. and is an atheist and reached out to us and it touched us so deeply. Mm-hmm. And we're praying for them and we hope that at some level we can be a resource not just to them but to everyone. So thank you for for supporting us and for listening to us and we look forward to next week. God bless everyone. I love you, my love. I love you, Johnny. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.